Welcome to Freshly Forever, a podcast that gives you fascinating insights week after week. Here's your host, Vai Kumar. Welcome to another episode of Podcast Freshly Forever. Today, I have the honor of interviewing Dr. Jared Spencer. He is very passionate about improving the emotional health of athletes and business leaders. Dr. Spencer is a clinical psychologist who helps clients get unstuck and become the best version of themselves so they can thrive in their business or athletic pursuit. Hey, Dr. Spencer, how are you today? Welcome to the podcast. Hi, doing so well. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, I just thought it's so important in this present day context to talk about well-being of people in business and the employees as well, right? And uh, I know you're an expert doing both the business side and the athletic side, but I guess peak performance when it comes to the present day context, I think mental health plays a great role in that. So what do you think are the crucial factors impacting businesses today? As you alluded to there, it's, it's really mental health. We have got to do more to equip our uh, employees in the business world with the skills, the mental tools in their mental toolbox to manage the anxiety and pressure and stress and insomnia and challenges that we have today. We've got to equip them to deal with the emotional side of life. Mm -hmm. Okay. You said anxiety there. Makes me want to ask you, how much is fear of the unknown playing into people's lives? I think. We have lived in this pandemic world for the past couple of years, and we still don't know if we are completely out of it, right? Well, for sure. Yeah, I, I, I define anxiety as the fear of the unknown, right? That's an oversimplification. But what we are saying is that when our, when our thoughts go a little too far into the future, we can feel worried or frustrated or maybe even overly concerned or essentially anxious, and so anxiety is when your mind goes a little too far forward. Depression can often be when your mind goes a little, your thoughts go a little bit too far too long in the past. Mm-hmm. And so uh, right now we live in a time and place in history where we just don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Um, that's been one of the major aspects of the pandemic. Now, I don't see that as all bad. And the reason I say that is because I think we were living too fast, uh, too far in the future. And Mm -hmm. so by bringing life back to the here and the now, let's just focus on today. Let's just focus on this week, this weekend, and then we'll see what next week or next month brings. I think there's some degree of benefit um, for that. Having said that, um, anxiety is is at an all-time high right now, Mm -hmm. and we've never seen anything quite like it. Okay. And how significant then is resiliency and confidence in the context of the current situation? Is that something? if we give enough impetus to that can you know possibly bring about a shift well adversity breeds resiliency and for those individuals that have gone through some type of adversity in their life what we're seeing during the pandemic is that they actually have uh, a skill set to manage the pandemic a little bit better because they know how to manage adversity but there are a lot of people whose lives have been pretty good and they didn't really have that same set of tools in their mental toolbox to manage the adversity. They don't have the same type of emotional resiliency. And quite frankly, they're struggling, they're suffering. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, even those most resilient people out there, uh, some of the physicians at hospitals who've been caring for people struggling with COVID, there is a limit 
for resiliency. And people do experience that mental fatigue and consequently um, everybody needs a break. Mm -hmm. So yes, resiliency is one of those hallmark characteristics during this pandemic that has been really vital, but it's limited. Yeah, I know. I mean, there's only so much that one can do, right? You know, like we all are not superhuman. We are just human then. Right? (laughs) I guess it's a great reminder. So how best can one develop these then? I mean, it's what is it that one can cultivate and how is it that experts like you can help, say, individuals or businesses and their employees thrive? Sure. By, you know, addressing this situation. Well, there's really two paths, the outside in head knowledge and then the inside out kind of like heart knowledge. So when somebody works one on one with an individual and they look within and they talk about their own feelings and their experiences and the complex interpersonal dynamics, we really learn more about thyself. And therefore, we can heal oneself and develop the necessary skills to manage life a little bit better. That's one half. The other half is the outside in really head knowledge. As I record this with you, I'm standing in front of a bunch of books here. And those books are really like resources that if an individual was were to develop resiliency by studying and reading and learning and watching podcasts and listening to all kinds of speakers out there, there's so many things that they could do to really uh, equip themselves with knowledge. And that's another way to develop resiliency. Okay. Okay. And your signature message, clearer mind, better performance, right? So what strength psychology methods do you typically give organizations or its employees to become better? Sure. When it comes to strength psychology techniques to have a clearer mind, it really all comes down to one main thing. And that really, quite frankly, is sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, sleep is the number one factor in performance and the better we're sleeping, the mind usually heals itself when we're sleeping, it clears itself out. The problem is, you know, most people are sleeping, um, about six hours a day. They're logging about six hours of screen time, maybe more. And so in the last 10 years, we've seen this huge shift from like a lot of people around the world are just getting more screen time than they are hours of sleep and they're on their phone, social media. And therein lies this massive cell phone addiction problem that's driving the sleep epidemic, which is really impacting mental health. So when we talk about how to have a clear mind, better performance, the very first place I start with uh, companies, corporations, with athletes is let's take a deep dive on sleep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you said insomnia earlier, and then you also talked about the need for better sleep makes me, again want to ask this and say this as well. Is it a matter of you and me taking to say a forum like LinkedIn or somewhere and bringing this up for it to, you know, change for the better because the work culture overall seems to be completely immersed, especially in intergeographic companies, you know, companies that operate globally, you know, people operating in different time zones, they are not eating right. They are not sleeping well. So how do we bring about this cultural shift? Because when it's dinner time somewhere, people are still on calls because the demands of work and their situation, you know, calls for it, right? So how do we bring about this change, Dr. Spencer? 
Well, you're, you're asking a question that I don't have the answer to. I mean, the truth is like, this is really, really complicated and really hard. And you're absolutely right. As we become like, you know, more united around the world and time zones are different and our circadian rhythm, our, our natural rhythm that each person's body has with the environment that's around them, that's, that's shifting. And so what we know is that a lot of what's happening isn't really healthy for us. It's not really good for our overall health and well-being. Mm-hmm. And so how do we create boundaries uh, around technology when we all live in a world of immediacy? We want it now. And if you don't want to provide it, that's fine. We'll just get somebody else. And so that's, that is an unanswerable question at this point in time. My mind's not smart enough to, to answer that or solve that. But I do think that we have to find a way to make it a little bit better for each individual so that we can have greater mental health. Exactly. And it's certainly playing into someone's mental well-being, correct? And we live in this era of great resignation that we are seeing in companies. So I guess the need for the hour is that empathetic, you know, leaders, what is it? You know, how do they build confidence and trust in employees and how can we foster mental mental health? Because I think somewhere there needs to be some forum that can, you know, just bring this message out loud and clear, correct? For sure. It just like I said, you and me writing on LinkedIn, you know, creating awareness, or is it you and me sitting on this podcast or in conjunction to that, you know, bringing it up in other forums? Or is it a matter of, you know, leaders be, being more empathetic? Yeah, great question. And I think the truth is when it comes to a business, follow the money. And a lot of times company mm-hmm. leaders will give lip service to the importance of mental health, for example, in their organization. But if you really stop and think about it, like how many webinars are they hosting for their employees to watch? Uh, what type of speakers are they bringing in? What books are they having them read? What uh, one-on-one resources mm-hmm. are they providing? And the harsh reality is the answer a lot of times is that, yeah, it's it's a, it's a check the box item, but it, we're not really going below the surface. We're not really going deep on this topic. That's wherein the cultural... Uh, shift is beginning, but oftentimes there's not the funding behind it to make it meet the need of the people today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What what other tools then uh, can help employees? I mean, I guess one is companies themselves and leaders themselves have to bring about a cultural shift. But if not that, until such time that can happen, then is it a matter of um, employees just focusing on their own health to the extent that they can by doing, say, some yoga, visualization, what other tools would you give someone? Well, I give somebody the power of empathy. Empathy is often uh, underutilized, but yet it's, it's a very, very important tool for a leader. When you see somebody whose sales numbers have maybe dropped over the last uh, few months or last few quarters, and you go in and you say to that person, you know, what's, what's wrong with you? Like your sales numbers are down, like, you know, get, get them up or we're gonna have to go a different direction. That doesn't leave a person Mm -hmm. feeling really good about the company. But if somebody says, Hey, your sales numbers are down. Are you okay? Mm -hmm. Can I help in any, can I help in any Mm -hmm. way? You want to go for a walk and talk about it a little bit? Uh, That's, that's empathy. And empathy is a leadership skill 
that we need now more than ever within businesses, not just top down, but, you know, person to person to help each other understand, like, we're all struggling. Like every one of us, including myself, we're all struggling. If we can be a little empathic with each other, that, that empathy can go an incredibly long way towards making a person feel heard, validated, encouraged, supported, and even productive. Okay. So again, it's an intertwining and that helps build trust, helps build confidence, and probably that can in turn relate to someone becoming more resilient, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And what about any other tools that you would say that that companies can empower their employees with? And what typically would you sure. could you do when you go help someone out? Say yeah. when companies call you, typically what is it that? you, Dr. Spencer, are able to impart? Yeah, for example, one company that I work with, um, you know, nearly every month we do a webinar and they can pick the topic. I've got like 30 available on my website and sometimes we even create topics uh, for them. So for example, last month I did a webinar on change and how we can deal with change a little more, more effectively. So here are 10 psychological skills that can help a company deal with change, Right. So change management, because the world's changing so fast, is 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 a is an important concept. Mm-hmm. And so if we could instill like the skill of managing change, or for example, how do we shift out of negative thinking when we're really feeling negative, pessimistic, and down, we're a little hard on ourselves? How do we actually get back to a more positive mindset, a more optimistic mindset? Like those are literally like skills in the sports world uh, that I teach. So very important for an athlete to be able to say, hey, we're getting beat, but we need to rebound and, and play better. How do they do that? Mm-hmm. And so explaining, like, for example, with that, like there are 15 negative, there are 15 thinking patterns that we all tend to use. This is kind of classic cognitive behavior, cognitive psychology. But one of those 15 patterns tends to be the one that you or I or anybody else would use the most when we particularly get stressed. So Mine's particularly filtering. Others might be catastrophizing or polarized thinking. But you see, like, you can't shift out of negative thinking if you don't know which pattern you're stuck in. Mm -hmm. But if I gave somebody that handout and said, hey, look at this handout, look at these 15, and you identify which it is for you, then when you're in reward fallacy or blaming, you know how to get out of the negative thinking because you actually know the pattern and there's a word to describe that pattern that you're stuck in. And so that's just one small technique. That's like one of seven of how to shift from negative positive thinking. But the idea is if we can give resources and knowledge and education on, on, on gems like that, then people feel like, okay, now I know a pathway out of the way that I'm feeling right now. Yeah. Yeah. I guess empowering is the need of the hour. And that's where people like you come in. Back in a moment with our guest on Fresh Leaf Forever. And you mentioned athletes, and I know you are, again, you know, very, very adept at working with athletes. So how do we remove roadblocks in an athlete's path? What exactly is going on? Is it like negative thinking? What is the main thing when it comes to athletes? Well, the main thing when it comes to athletes is really two things. One, it's rest, recharge, and recovery. Mm -hmm. 
right? They oftentimes it's go, 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 go. And if we can get them to slow it down and, and, and recharge the body and the mind more effectively, then they, we can, we can see a greater output. Um, the other for athletes, quite frankly, is, you know, a lot of athletes and you know, professional athletes, in particular, you know, they're, they're younger they might be between, um, you know, maybe like 18 and, and 28. And quite frankly, a lot of them are struggling with relationships. And so they're dating and they're exploring and they're um, meeting new people. But sometimes those relationships can be complicated. They might not want to talk, a, talk to a parent about that or maybe cry to a friend about it, but they might talk to a sports psychologist about it. So when it comes to athletics, uh, relationships and rest, recharge, recovery are two of the most important topics to help okay. them with the, with the path ahead. You brought up recovery. I'm the parent of an athlete myself who is a division one collegiate uh, sport athlete. How much again is culture playing into all of it? And uh, where do you think uh, the struggle lies in terms of emphasizing and giving the athlete enough of a chance to even recover well? Well, we're simply not. Uh, we're simply not giving the athlete enough chance to recover. Uh, to recover very well. And particularly here in the United States. Very nicely pointed out the go, go, go attitude, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, go hard to go home. And if you don't want to do the work, there's some, can be somebody else. Interestingly enough, a, a big part of that was actually driven by Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers. Uh, in that book, it talked about uh, the 10,000 hour rule. Uh, this book came out about 10 years ago. And it really basically said like, to be an expert in something, if you if you invest about 10,000 hours, you'll actually become an expert in it. And so many uh, people erroneously took that to the sports world and said, well, if I want to be a great athlete, I just need to do 10,000 hours of that sport as fast as I possibly can, kind of like Tiger Woods' dad did Earl with his Tiger. And then that uh, that athlete would be, would be um, then an expert. Here's the problem. Um, according to this wonderful book here, I'll show you this book right now. It's called... Uh, rest. Mm -hmm. And so according to this book here, rest, it talked about that study. Well, Gladwell forgot to mention that it was 10,000 hours along with significant rest. Mm -hmm. So you, you just can't, you just can't work, 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 work. You have to work, but have significant rest. And therein lies the problem in the sports world in, in America, for sure, many, many places around the world as well, that we just have this mentality of like, just keep pushing. But the reality is, we now know that a massage, a sports psychology session, floating, hydration, all these uh, you know ways to rest, recover uh, are so very important to high performance. Um, but that message is slow to creep into the college culture and the high school culture. It's, it is in the pro culture. They, they understand the value of rest recovery, but it's not at the lower levels yet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Again, a cultural shift is something that's highly necessary, correct? to enforce that change. Yeah, but just like moving a big ship in the ocean, you can't turn around very quickly. <laughs> but is that then the cause of all this um, anger and frustration in athletes also? You know, whatever you see when they are on the field, you know, they are trying to perform their best. No one wants to underperform. You know, that's never their goal. I guess every athlete wants to succeed. Well, there's truth to that, but I think a lot of the truth also goes much deeper in that a lot of athletes today have had overbearing parents who were a little bit way too into their sports mm -hmm. and consequently um, instilled a, a high degree of tension 
and stress. And in fact, you can come to any youth sport with me this weekend. And what you'll see is the kids have a great time out there. It's the parents on the sidelines that are just way too emotionally charged. And that is translating. As a sports parent myself, you know, I, I could always see that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's alarming, it's concerning, and, uh, and it's everywhere. So how much is then all this um, anger, frustration, again, all this, especially whatever anyone is contributing to from the sidelines and maybe even coaching pressure, how much is all that playing into someone's mental health? Uh, a ton. And we can't separate, you know, the mind, and the body. And so when we're out there competing, we know that it's not just physical energy, it's emotional energy that we need in order to excel. But that emotional energy is oftentimes being depleted uh, because of complex uh, dynamics that are going on in a person's head as they think about uh, the father, maybe who they, whom they hear their voice among all the other voices that are young, they hear that voice mm-hmm. and they hear the emotionality associated with that voice at that moment. And consequently it takes an athlete a little bit out of their game. So what we know is that the emotional energy is really, 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 really important, but how much are coaches or parents even working on that emotional aspect with their um, with their athletes? And the answer is not enough. Mm-hmm. And then the professional athletes say like Naomi Osaka coming out with, you know, her struggles with mental health. Why is all this? I mean, is that fan pressure? Is that just, you know, because professional athletes can equip themselves with a good support system around them. So what what other external factors you think are contributing to something like that? Well, when Naomi uh, withdrew from the French Open, I remember I was on CNN's uh, New Day doing a live interview. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I said there was, you know, if she had a physical injury, everyone would give her a pass. Uh, but because mental health is often an invisible injury, we can't see it. Then we say, well, she should suck it up and do this TV interview. Mm-hmm. Um, Media is really hard because everyone has access to any athlete now because of social media. So that with that direct access, people can express themselves. And despite many people's ability to try to not look at that, the reality is some of that gets through or or, or people uh, say like, hey, did you see this? We heard that. And just like a a water dripping on a stone, like after a while, it's going to leave a mark in the stone. It's going to make an impression And, and learning to manage media and then negative implications on that on emotions is something that's um, a skill set necessary for young athletes. And somebody like Naomi Osaka, um, clearly, you know, she's she's struggling at times. We give her a lot of credit. The world rallied around her. It's tough to be in that situation. And so we could really all be a little bit more empathic to her and everyone else who says, look, man, I'm, it's, I'm not okay right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What other aspects you think... Um around an athlete or something, you know, that we often overlook and that which can bring about a positive shift uh, to their mental health? Yeah, it's a really great question. And I really think it's faith. I think spirituality. And so however a person wants to define that to be, we know that developing spirituality is a great way to develop resiliency. Mm -hmm. And so if one is, uh, there's a wonderful book that I'm reading right now called The Awakened Brain. And in the awakened brain, it really talks about like, if a person has a healthier spirituality, that really does a lot to help the brain. 
And so uh, too often in culture society, that might be something that's kind of pushed to the, the outside. There's not enough time for that, or maybe that's going to be something that we're not going to really develop right now. But I say the opposite. If we can develop spirituality, that is a major factor in overall health and performance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. And last but not the least, uh, integrating nature, fitness, mental health, your journey as an iFit doc. How do you think that has impacted people's lives? Well, especially during the pandemic, we realized that um, people have moved out from the cities, out to the mountains and the lakes and to be out in nature more because we can work that way. and We actually feel better that way. So with iFit, which is oftentimes the operating software that you'd see on a Nototrack treadmill, for example, um, we in those videos that I recorded, I would hike mountains in Oregon or Antigua or the Poconos, for example. And I would teach and, and speak on different topics mm-hmm. of uh, anxiety, depression, confidence and such. And I think people realize that when we pair mental health in nature and exercise together, it's a winning combination that makes us generally feel really good. Mm-hmm. And so I love what I do with iFit. I love the videos and I love the public response from that because it's a, it's a way of taking mental health content and pairing it in a slightly different uh, delivery system. Mm-hmm. And so I was, so I'm proud to be the iFit mind doc and I'm proud to get those messages out there because we've got to find creative new angles to deliver um, psychology to people in a way that they can learn from the privacy of their home, but maybe even get a little exercise and do it while looking at the most beautiful places in some of, in places of the world. So mm-hmm. I love what I do there. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm going to make a pledge to every listener here to tell more friends, that way they get their fitness in and take a mental break from whatever they are doing then and listen to podcasts like this and listen to experts like you. That way, you know, they can just nurture their abilities more and more. And what about any other programs or your contact info that you would like to share for the benefit of listeners here? Sure. Yeah, you can reach out to me, uh, Jared Spencer, it's J-A-R-R-O-D, Spencer.com. Uh, and uh, of course, on social medias, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, love to have people reach out to me. And uh, then a lot of times people will say, well, we're going to get more content specifically, uh, you know, on Amazon, you can buy my book, um, Mind of the Athlete, Clear Mind, Better Performance. Even though it's written for athletes, it relates to everybody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you so much for being on the show. And I think we couldn't have emphasized more about resiliency and empathy. I guess those are my main takeaways from today's conversation. And I hope every listener here finds that more and more inspiring. And uh, thank you so much once again for taking time to talk to us here today. My pleasure, Vi. I wish you and everyone the best. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Listeners, as always, follow the podcast, rate the podcast, leave a review from your podcast app of choice, and follow me on Instagram at YP Kumar for all things digital media and lifestyle. I'll see you back again with another interesting guest and another interesting topic. Until then, it's why saying so long.